Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. It is the ultimate in commercial agent training. Check it out at CommercialAgentSuccess.com. You know, as I studied the commercial real estate market, it seems like it's pretty easy and not easy, but straightforward to kind of understand what's happening in a lot of sectors and a lot of areas. But one of the places that seems um, harder to predict right now, here we are in the third week of March, 2021. We've just went through a year of COVID and the shutdowns and the emptying of downtowns and office buildings for, 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 the, for a good part of the cities. Um, and it's hard to kind of understand what's gonna happen in these major cities What's going to happen in these high-rise office buildings and um, what's that future look like well please welcome my guest it's hugh kelly he's a principal with real estate economics he's real estate economist he's also academic director of real estate at fordham he's also been involved in some of the major publications that we all love and enjoy uh, each year they, they come out from uh, uh, uh organizations around the country they kind of reach out to hugh kelly so Hugh, help us do this Hugh, thanks for uh, joining us today uh, thank you for the invitation. It's always a pleasure to uh, to be visiting with you, Michael. And uh, someday uh, I'll be able to come down to Atlanta again and do this in person. Yeah, we're 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 close. I hope to getting back into Studio One. And uh, and Hugh, as I mentioned in the opening, I think you know when you look at the various sectors and you look at kind of smaller and suburban markets, you kind of get a feeling of hey, what might happen. But when I look at big cities and I look at the office sector in, in particular, you know, a lot of uh, companies are, have been kind of afraid, I think, to, to have people in their office because it's just not safe. We're getting a lot of people vaccines now. But what is the future of office towers and office buildings and, and CBDs in, in cities like New York, which you're obviously very familiar with? Well, you know, we're, it's a multi-trillion dollar question now, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, you know, I'll give you the tough ones. Uh, you know, uh, it, it does. It does remind me uh, how important zeros are. Uh, I can remember uh, in the early '80s, uh, we were doing an investment analysis of the first World Trade Center in New York, and uh, as we were preparing the report, I noticed someone had left a zero off the value. <laughs> <laughs> it made a big difference. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. I mean, uh, it, it 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 is a big deal, and it's a very concentrated deal. Uh, there are about uh, five billion square feet of office space in uh, in the U.S. About ten percent is within twenty five miles of Times Square. <laughs> so that's very concentrated, and of that uh, space. That 500 million square feet of uh, of space, uh, about a fifth is empty at this at this point. Wow! So you know, 100 million. Right. You know, uh, well, you know that's and and that is true. That is correct, and you can see it. I was on the New York City subway yesterday, going into the Hudson Yards area, uh, and uh, you know, a lot of space on the subway. Everybody, yeah. everybody with a mask, uh, but it, you know it's, the city has slowed down a lot. Uh, you can repeat that story across the country. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, there are cities in different phases of, 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 of coming back. Um, or I think Atlanta may be a little bit more advanced in, in return to activity. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, the state of Texas, the state of Florida are encouraging a fast comeback if they can, if they can get it. Uh, uh, the laggards, I would say, uh, in those places are the businesses that occupy the office space. They're not so fast and not so eager to come back into the opening up, uh, area because of a concern for their employees b and secondarily concern for potential liability yeah. and c because they have a working model now that they've developed in in the last 12 months that at least as a stopgap has worked very well for them what do you say you to company business leaders and, and, and people thinking about their career uh, on making decisions to get back in their office, let's assume that by summer here that, you know, the vaccines are out, we have immunity, uh, and, and CDC, everybody's saying, hey, it's safe, you can get back to, to your life. What do you say to companies now and, and people who are planning when they, they're kind of in the throes of, of COVID shutdowns and we've been afraid to, to be around each other? I mean, I was walking down the sidewalk the other day and I noticed people, uh, staying away from me like I had pooped in my pants or something. I mean, you know, it's like we're just staying away from everybody. What do you say to people about making decisions kind of in the, while they're in the throes of a crisis that are really long-term uh, decisions, whether it's investment career or are operating your business? Yeah. You know, uh, we're, we're, we're very much a stimulus response mechanism in, in as human beings but also uh, uh, as aggregates of human beings. Uh, uh, and I think uh, we can push that a little bit far. You know, uh, I like the, uh, the Mexican jumping bean example. Uh, you know, the Mexican jumping bean isn't a bean at all. It's a, it's a larva inside a shell, but that larva reacts to heat. And uh, if you hold it in your hand, it jumps, mm -hmm. it jumps. You know, but that's mindless. Yeah. What's called for in terms of good business planning is that mindless reaction. Uh, it's it's thinking in a in a forward way, uh, and I stress forward because um, you know the phrase that I keep hearing is when are we going to get back to normal? Uh, and from an economic perspective. Um, the answer to the Great Depression in the 1930s was not going back to the normal of the 1920s. It was to think forward to what the economy needed to look like when it was recast and reconfigured. And that wasn't just an FDR story. That was carried forward by Presidents Truman and Eisenhower. Uh, yes, the financial system was recast largely in, in the FDR years, but then Truman introduced the GI Bill that educated a generation of, of people and helped us move into, into a knowledge economy by giving uh, college to the returning GIs. And Eisenhower uh, laid the groundwork for uh, not only the um, 
the interstate highway system, you know, which we don't have e-commerce without that. Uh, but also uh, by funding uh, uh, the response to Sputnik, developing NASA, creating a space program, he set the stage for Kennedy's uh, push uh, in Apollo to go to the moon. Well, these were forward thinking, and that's what business needs to do now. It needs to think not about how were things from 2010 to 2019, but what will they be from 2022 to 2032? And certainly not how are things in 2020 and making real long-term plans on that, right? And you were uh, close to uh, the crisis at 9-11 in New York. Uh, is, is that an example of, of a crisis and how people, what they kind of thought about what the future would look like and then what really happened in the future? You know, it's a good, it, it, it's a good uh, point of comparison uh, because that was a sort of disruptive change, not predicted change. You know, the conventional wisdom was that it was going to be very hard to lease the upper floors of skyscrapers anymore. Uh, uh, that there was just too much fear of, of being able to get out in the event of a problem. Uh, we felt uh, that it was going to cause a great dispersion, dispersion of um, economic activity away from cities that were considered target rich. Remember that term? Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and New York and Chicago and Washington D.C. and uh, and San Francisco among among them, right. uh, and uh, that companies would uh, no longer want to consolidate their operations so that their people would work closely together uh, uh, because of the experience of uh, of the firms uh, like Mark McLennan. In, uh, in the Trade Center and some of the investment banks that lost a significant uh, cadre of all of their employees because they were all in the Trade Center towers together. Well, that expect those expectations actually did not come to fruition. Uh, the last 20 years have been very good years for dense downtowns. Uh, they have certainly, uh, in the way we've packed people into our office space, tended to go in the exact opposite direction of dispersal, right? Mm-hmm. You know, more people per square foot of office space, right? Yeah. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think the idea that, that, uh, uh, that people wouldn't go to the top floors of buildings any, anymore, nobody thinks about that anymore. Right. Uh, post-COVID, they might because of the time that you're in elevators, but but those those were those were the conventional wisdom about cities, the conventional wisdom about office buildings, uh, and again, the things that have persisted have been less those big picture assumptions and more of the operational things. So to me, uh, uh, you know, I think who is going to be the key person on your on on, on your team for office buildings government? It's your property manager. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you run your buildings? Yeah. Uh, that's going to make a big diff a, a big difference 
more than the size of the building, more than the individual location of the building. You know, uh, you're, it's you're, you're, which, which buildings are better, best run. Yeah. Yeah. I love your view of the economy and history and, and how we're predicting the future and, you know, how is that going to look? And so when you look at the draw of, of cities and, you know, throughout history, uh, you know, people have always been drawn to cities. People are kind of social. They've all been drawn together. So what does that tell you about the future of cities like, like New York, for example? And it's not, it's not necessarily New York, New York. I know very well, mm -hmm. you know, because I was born here in 1949 and I've lived here, uh, uh with very, very few exceptions. Uh, you're, you're, you're right in, in two time dimensions. One is a very long time dimension, right? Uh, it wasn't that long ago that the world for the first time found 50% of its population living in urban areas. You know, not a hundred years ago, we were mostly as a world economy and in the United States, mostly rural. Hmm. Cities grew historically in Mesopotamia because they were uh, able to perform functions uh, that was specialized because the agricultural community produced a surplus. So they, the agricultural community could feed more than just their individual population. They could feed people living in cities who didn't grow their own food. Mm -hmm. So those people could do other things. And that's been the specialty of, of, of cities. It's, it's been to take time that's, uh, uh, been made available by technological advance and maximize its economic impact. Meanwhile, of course, they become centers for culture. They become centers for religion. And they become centers for commerce. You know, so that's the long, the, 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 the long view. The shorter view is, uh, well, how about the United States and how about the last century? And it's been an increasing century of urbanization so that now the vast majority of the U.S. population lives in cities. And the top 10 cities produce about 70% of our gross national product or gross domestic product. That's amazing because they don't have 70% uh, of the population, those 10 cities, right? Right. But they produce mm -hmm. the goods and services that the rest of us rely on. And that is our ability to sell goods and services around the world. You know, yeah. So that's a, that's a source of the United States economic power. It's urban. Yeah. Uh, and that, to me, is why folks that sell cities short, uh, particularly you know, in these times of emergency, need to step back and evaluate a bigger picture. Uh, you know, it's in the economic interest of the United States 
to support what cities do. Why? Because that's where our national wealth comes from. Right. And if you think about it individually, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, we're all affected by this. And, you know, we're thinking, oh, we have technology, we can work at home. But I kind of um, emotionally uh, and, you know, psychologically, it's really had an impact, it seems like, on, on, on almost everyone. Um, do Is there that demand from, are we going to change? Are we going to go, hey, I know we're in this crisis and it's impacting us and our decisions and the way we think, just like 9-11 did, when really uh, things, uh, we got to look long term. Are we going to, as employees, employers, um, want to get back together and want to get back in these cities and enjoy the things that, that make these cities great and great places to be again? Well, well sure. You know, uh, you t- take a look at what cities like uh, like Houston and Miami uh, uh, are trying to do to headline the resumption of vitality. It's their restaurants and bars. Mm-hmm. It's where people gather and have fun together. And that's what that's what they want to show to the world. I mean, it makes Dr. Fauci crazy, <laughs> you know, and I think rightfully so. But you know, it it, it it's it's that social social side of of of, of 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 things. And you know, as an economist, I don't I don't dismiss that. Uh, one of the things that we we've really learned uh, since uh, uh, Daniel Kahneman, Amos Tversky. Uh, develop behavioral economics uh, and won a Nobel Prize for it now 30 years ago uh, is that uh, we're not simply uh, economic uh, individuals that calculate everything that we do. You know, we're human, we're whole human beings. And our psychology and our sociology affect our behavior as well as our economic incentive. But even at economic incentive, um, uh, I'd I'd look for this as the key to to anticipating, I won't say predict, but anticipating what to look for in terms of, 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 of uh, the longer term urban effects. Mm. And that is that people come to cities primarily not for a job, but for a career. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no reason to, to accept the diseconomies of cities right, the frictions that we have, the hassles that we have, uh, except that over the course of your life, it's going to be a better place for you to be. Yeah. Right. And that has many dimensions to it, right? You know, it has, but, but uh, if you want to have a career, what you want to have is at least two things. One is the ability to work with people who can teach you 
to be an executive. Right. And you don't get that over Zoom. Right. Those, those, those are those. I, I, I'll, I'll use my own example. Those were bosses that would come to my office and say, Hugh, I want to talk to you about something. Mm -hmm. And they did. And sometimes it was thinking through a problem together. Sometimes it was them giving me a challenge, right? Uh, sometimes it was them uh, saying, uh, you know, it's as, as the top executive, you know, it's not, I'm not going to be as effective in talking to your colleague as you are. So I want you to do that. You take that, you know, yeah. that's modeling behavior, right? Then the second thing that makes city is a good place to uh, advance in a career is that in whatever your industry is, you're going to be there with the other people that are also on the rise. Right. Right. And in your 20s and your 30s, you're going to get to know the people who are going to be the top executives later on. And if you build those relationships and maintain those relationships, you may never work in the same company as those people do, but you're going to do business with them. Yeah. You're going to do yeah. business with them. You know, the best example I ever saw of that, that Michael, is I did a, a, a study of the U S banking industry once upon a time. Uh, uh, and uh, one of the banks that I looked at uh, was PNC bank. Now PNC was the second tier bank in Pittsburgh. Uh, when I did the study back in the 1980s, the Mellon Bank was the top tier. Mellon's board was all of the CEOs of the big Pittsburgh corporations, U.S. Steel and Westinghouse and, and you know, Allegheny Airlines and all the rest. Of it. They had to see it. PNC did a brilliant thing. To their board, they appointed the people that they thought would be the CEOs <laughs> 15 or 20 years hence. Mm -hmm. And you tell me of those two banks today, which is the more powerful bank? Mellon, which has been absorbed by Bank of New York as a holding company, right? Or PNC Bank, which has spread its wings around the country. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to ask you about this. It, you know, it makes sense. And I've always thought about the, the major cities is the excitement is the, the people that, that want to be the best they can be at what they do. And they're, they're drawn to the cities for all the benefits you just talked about. So what do you think about the, the companies that are kind of thinking uh, in, during COVID that maybe for their future, um, they can do a lot or all work from home or work from mobile. What does that do to the company's recruiting, retention, productivity, and growth if the greatest people that want to be the future CEOs want to be together and be in the cities. You know, so, you know, corporate corporations, uh, are, are, are very multifaceted. And so, uh, in, in my mind, there are, uh, essentially three major buckets within any corporation. Uh, one is 
the legacy businesses that kind of run themselves. You know, the CEO doesn't have to worry that much about them. Uh, he can delegate that and just tell me every quarter how you're doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, as long as you don't screw up, you're fine. Right? Then there's uh, pure commodity work. Right? Those two things, the, uh, 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 the commodity work, the back office work, right? Those are all, and, and the other, the, other the, the, the legacy businesses, are all subject to the same pressure, which is to reduce costs. You're not, you're not going to improve your earnings out of either of those buckets. The third bucket is where you are. That's the innovative, right? That's where you're going to have your future growth and it's where your competitive edge is going to be today and into the future. And it's those people you want next to you. So there's a sorting out process for cities. And this is why cities produce and uh, uh, punch above their weight in terms of GDP. They're more productive. They're more output per employee. Uh, and uh, that's because cities have come to specialize in, in that. That's why rents and land values in city cores are so high, is that you can afford those higher rents because they more than meet the additional expenses uh, uh, that, you, that you get in paying them because the people who occupy that space are out producing everybody else. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that makes, so that it, makes it, it, it's a bottom line effect, not a middle line effect, which is where cost control and expense control comes in. Yeah. I, I saw a report that I've always recall that said the salespeople um, in, an, in a company that work at home, are less productive than the salespeople that work in the satellite offices and they're less productive than the salespeople that work in the main offices. So if people are coming to the cities and the office because they want to advance their career, they want to be the future CEOs. If the growth part of these companies um, wants to, to have the benefit of that being in that central office thing, what does that mean for the future of office properties in our, our major cities? Because some, leadership some people are thinking these cities won't come back or they'll take a long time what do you predict um you know it's not going to be flipping light switch mm -hmm. you know uh again i'll go back to how much space are we talking about we're talking about five billion square feet of office space and it's highly concentrated it's not well distributed across the country uh so i think there isn't like a one size fits all prediction. Um, I do uh, uh, think that the functionally obsolete space in the country tends not to be the space in the core because the space in the core, uh, due to its, its very high rent, has had to be either the newest space, the more fun most functionally efficient, or older space that has proven very adaptable, mm -hmm. right? 
So these are spaces that I, I think uh, function well. However, with the volume of space that we have, it needs to be reconfigured. You know, it needs to be taken up. I mean, let's let's say that you've got nationally close to a twenty percent real vacancy rate, uh, and that even after uh, people call workers back to work, you're still going to have an overhang of space that is approximating 100 million square feet, mm -hmm. right? Uh, no, a billion square feet at 20%. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, going to it's going to take a period of years to get that back down to the point where rents begin to increase again. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the values that are perceived by investors begin to rise again. So that, I don't think, is going to be a 2022 or 2023 story. But during the time uh, uh, that we're going through those those years, those statistics should begin to approach equilibrium again. And at that point, uh, I think you begin to see a sudden revival of cities. Well, of course, it's not sudden. It, it builds over time. Um, I think cities have been given a something of a reprieve in uh, the American Rescue Plan, $1.9 trillion bill that, that was just signed and, and is now being rolled out and promoted around the, the country. In that, uh, had that not been uh, written into law, municipal budgets were in terrible shape. And many municipal budgets still have a lot of stress on them. But the dire emergency is not nearly as grave as, uh, uh, as it was. So, so in that sense, it's been helpful to cities. And I think a necessary help to cities, uh, the idea that uh, this is not quite, quote, COVID relief, uh, is a misdirection uh, because, again, these are the cities that contribute the most to the national economic health as well as the, as well as the public health. And uh, if you want to have uh, uh, a resumption of of a, a national economy in which we all benefit from rising incomes uh, and rising activities. And that give us a, a shot to tackle not only the income inequality issues that we have, but also uh, what I think is, is you know, among the most severe things that, that are, are necessary, which is, is this tribal division that we have. Uh, that division is best addressed in a thriving economy rather than a constrained economy. Yeah. Um, you know, where you're not in a win-lose situation, but you've got an expanding pie in which uh, uh, people of opposing viewpoints can both share. Yeah. 
So you said not 2022 thing for cities and office buildings, not 2023. Does that mean 2024 is when you think we could get back to a strong city and office market? Yeah, I, I think that that time, time frame sounds right to me. Um, I think our GDP in 2022 resumed, finds itself back at the level it was in 2019. So we're within a year of that, mm-hmm. making it all the way back on GDP. But I think in terms of the 152 million people that we had employed in uh, 2019, uh, we don't get back to that number until 2024, 2025. And since uh, real estate is filled with human persons, <laughs> that's the number that you need to be thinking about in terms of, of uh, the final demand for real estate. And it's not just office buildings, it's for housing and, and it's, you know, it's for shopping, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the number that's critical to me. When do we get uh, back to that 152 million people employed number. Uh, and even that is a, um, that's a low bar because in 2019, we would have forecast that that 152 million people would have grown about a percent and a half per year. Right. Right. Through 20. So you would have had then another seven and a half percent and seven and a half percent on uh 152 is another 12 million jobs <laughs> you know so we should have been up to 164 million people yeah but we're not going to be there for a while yeah but that's well, you- that's you know so i have that 152 million job number in my mind as 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 a bar but in the back of my mind i'm saying you know, that's a low hurdle. Yeah. Hugh, what would you leave our audience with, um, assuming that the audience uh, listeners that lead businesses and run businesses and, and make decisions for their for their office space and growth um, and for, for people who own uh, commercial real estate and office buildings, how to plan and think about it while they're still, you know, here we are the third uh, week of March. We're still in COVID shutdowns for most of the country. Uh, kind of hard to, to, to plan for the future when we feel so um, so involved with COVID. What would you leave our artists with to think about to, to plan for moving forward? Well, sure. You know, uh, it's the difference between a leader and a manager. Mm-hmm. A leader really needs to think beyond the task at hand. That's the manager's job, to think about mm-hmm. the task at hand. The leader leader needs to think about what do you want to be, right? And so uh, uh, I would would say in terms of how a company, whether it's in the real estate business, which, you know, you you and I live in that world, right? Or in the world of the people that use our real estate, which is, of course, where we make our money, you know, it's who do you want to be 10 years from now? Yeah. You know, and uh, I will say that no leader has ever built his business on cost cutting. 
Every leader has built his business on growing market share. And so what is it that you need to do to provide the goods and services that not just the American people, but the world wants to buy? And then the question is, where is the best place for you to create that product and that service? That, I love that. That's, that's, that to me is, is the nub of the issue. I love that. Manager versus a, a leader. Let the manager take care of the day-to-day. -day. The leader's got a plan. You need them both, future. right? Yeah, you can cut cost and just really kill your company, right? Um, you want to have the uh, the benefits of maybe having people together, invested in the people. Uh, one of the things I predict will come out of this, I think, uh, is that we'll have more square footage per person. We'll have healthier office in environments. Um, and so I think at least uh, some good will come out of this COVID mess. <laughs> right but not automatically mm -hmm. that you know it will be because of thoughtful human decision and you know that's why uh for since since the 1980s i've been been writing about that it's decision making that is is the key both to real estate education you know i, I have a, a 1991 piece I wrote, can universities teach real estate decision-making, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and uh, you know, part of my answer is if, if, if they can't, then why bother? Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, that's, that's also, you know, important for the way we function in, uh, uh in, in our businesses. You know, we need to make good task at hand managerial decisions. Otherwise we don't survive. Yep. But we also need to be visionary because without that, we don't thrive. Right. And, uh, you know, so you asked me, what would be my advice? That would be my advice is, is to, is to yes, deal with, with the day to day, but don't just get stuck there. Yeah. Think, think, uh, uh, Think about the the issues that I I mentioned. You know where yeah. where are you going to produce the goods and services that America and the world wants to purchase, and where can you best do that, and do it long term? You, Kelly, great information and good advice. Thank you for being with us, sir. I uh, really appreciate the invitation, and again, uh, uh, you know, I, I look forward to getting on uh, uh, Atlanta's hometown airline and coming down to your neck of the woods sometime soon. It sounds good. Can't wait to get you in studio one. Thanks for being on the show. Well, that was Hugh Kelly, uh, real estate economics. Um, and, uh, you know, we always have uh, great people on the show. Hugh Kelly is one of my favorites, uh, the view he has of the economy and, and the history and, and, and be able to look beyond what we're going through now and plan for the future is something that I think I need help with. And, Hopefully uh, you enjoyed it. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for sharing the show. Please let us know what you think. And until next week, please lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show.
you appreciate the show, think about the opportunity to do business or refer business to our sponsors. Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies. For incredible commercial agent training, visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Core.green. Use ION technology to create a safer environment for your real estate. Visit core.green. For more commercial real estate intel, forecasts, and strategies, visit CREshow.com.